Distressed LTL carrier Express Global Systems snapped up by Aterian Investment Partners. Transport in 2018, the year that ELDs, the economy, and the driver squeeze all came together. And then we talk about how the relationship between Dallas and Los Angeles explains the freight market in 2018. And finally, we do five good minutes with Paul Enos, the CEO of the Nevada Trucking Association. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we're joined by Zach Strickland, the Sultan of Sonar. And market analyst, market expert. Something like that. <laughs> All of it. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. And we've got a special treat for you guys uh, regarding Zach's particular expertise on our first headline of the day. But, um, you know, before we get down to business. Zach, uh, I didn't know that you need a bottle opener. I thought you just used twist-offs. I do. Uh, well, we are enjoying um, one of JP's favorites. My Actually, my only favorite. Your I, only I, favorite? Like, every other beer that I try, I implicitly like, compare it to uh, you know, my first and only true love. Bell's Too Hearted, <laughs> out of Comps Like Michigan. Single malt hops. It's delicious. Right. Great to be here and great to imbibe upon this uh, wonderful beverage with you. And uh, to be here at the top of uh, 2019, three days in, guys, is it still feeling like a happy new year? So far, so good. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, one of the things that is uh, exciting um, uh, for us is that we uh, have um, some new sponsorship. Chicago-based Redwood Logistics is a next-generation, strategically-based, integrated logistics provider that believes every company's needs are unique. For more than 15 years, the company has been providing solutions for moving and managing freight and sharing its knowledge across North America. Redwood Logistics is focused on making its customers more successful in their end markets by applying talented and motivated people, proven processes, and cutting-edge technologies to optimize their supply chain management efforts, and we thank them for their sponsorship. Yeah, Redwood is a great company. Uh, we know a lot of folks out there, and it's really cool that they could um, step up and help support what the truck. Well, one of the uh, very first topics that um, we're going to hit hard today is um, uh, is is a story, uh, JP, that you actually you and Zach uh, covered. And uh, Zach, you have some uh, insider, um, uh, you know, kind of an insider scoop to to what happened. So, so give us some background. So, so yes, I I did work there <clears throat> for a period of time. So it was a while ago. Yeah, this is a while ago. This is the Express Global Systems yeah. acquisition by. The second PE group in two and a half ish years. Yeah, about two and a half years. Uh, yeah, the first time around was back in 2015, um, when you know a, a group of private equity investors came in and purchased them from US Express. Um, I'm not going to get into any of the, the gruesome details of all that, but uh, two and a half years later, it appears that they have now moved on to another uh, private equity group. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know... And it's the kind of private equity group that, you know, takes on distressed companies. Yeah, they're turnaround experts. And, you know, this deal was announced sort of the Friday afternoon before Christmas, which is normally when you uh, bury news that you don't want anyone to see. Um, and, you know, we we looked into the, the PE group that that did the deal and you know they're turnaround experts they specialize in acquiring distressed assets and so we're like oh wow like you know what what's going on with express global systems well i mean 
we kind of knew um, that they were basically like you know running out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach, what what did you? How long did you work at XGS, and what did you do there? So I worked I worked there for a good thirteen years. <laughs> so I well, went through. I was actually there in two thousand five six when they had their first turnaround, if you will, uh, as they shut down the air cargo business. I came in on the very tail end uh, of that, but it was a very kind of volatile time. Uh, they got rid of that segment of the business and then started focusing more on the carpet carrying side of their business, uh, which kind of helped them streamline the operation. I mean, <clears throat> I think you've heard us say something about how carpet is not the easiest freight to move, and there's not a lot of people out there willing to move it. And it's seasonal, right? It's very seasonal. Um, but it also, has nothing, it also has nothing really to do with air freight. No, no. It doesn't it, even make sense. that That's one of those things. You know, when people buy and merge companies, it's very hard to figure out what's going to, like, work well together. I think most people that don't have any experience with, like, you know, they may think, oh, I know. Oh, we'll, we'll, like, we'll offer a new service to our customers. Yeah. Or there's a the practical that'll thing that this is, or, like, a carpet mecca where they're based. No, no. Right. But I think the base, like, the real problem is, is that they say, oh, all transportation's equal. You know, so, well, these look the, similar. So we should be able to merge these two things together, and it should be just fine and easy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people thought in my tenure at at Express Global, I mean, throughout my entire tenure, that, hey, we should start moving more palletized freight versus the rolled good freight, which is 12-foot long cylinders. So if you can imagine that in some sort of space, very bulky, you can't move it with a heister. You can move it with a pole. So if you don't have that pole... That means you're going to be damaging a lot of freight. It's going to be bumping into stuff. It just does not really work that well. I mean, you, you think, well, hey, why don't you just put it on top? Yeah, but then you have the different, like, customers that you're going to different docks. It just, it it really is hard to manage through that. You and can't... is that the, the, do you think that that has a lot to do with where they find themselves all these years later? Like, they just picking the wrong kind of freight? You know, I, I think... The carpet industry—it's not one that's like necessarily booming. <laughs> um, yeah, because it seems like uh, consumer preferences have changed in favor of like tile, <coughs> right, hardwood hard floor, surfaces, hard, hardwood, um, you know, wood products. Absolutely no, and and I think the floor covering industry is moving that direction, but it's still largely carpet. Like, I mean, it's the cheapest, easiest thing to install. A lot of these office buildings and, and commercial real estate all has carpet tile and carpet in it, so. It's not that it's going away, but it's not like a real growth sector. So every time somebody okay, comes so in, there's that too. I yeah. See. So every time somebody comes in, they have to figure out a way to grow that business. Otherwise, they have this idea that they're just going to die and wither away. And that's that's not necessarily true. Um, mm-hmm. Right. You know, because you do have a lot of these, like the Shaws and the Mohawks, who have their own private fleets, and every now and again they decide to kind of pull back and. Uh, you know, because that's not their main job. Like, they only have transportation segments because they kind of were grandfathered in. Like, the 60s, nobody was hauling carpet. So right, they, right, they kind of had to have these fleets. And now they've kind of been, you know, they've been a part of the company so long, they kind of sit there and, you know, they serve them well. But most of the transportation cost is actually built into the product. So increased competition, uh, less demand for the service itself and a challenging type of freight to move. Mm-hmm. Anything, any other reasons do, why, why they might have been struggling? Well, as I think a company. I think one of the, the biggest things is that when you're you know when you purchase the company, you you kind of change the, the capital structure. Uh, Express Global was part of US Express, 
Um, whereas yeah. there were very few things that they had to add on to operate independently because it was a very independent structure within U.S. Express already. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> but then there was some, you know, some financial aspects of that that made it, you know, when you tack on an extra, you know, layer of cost into a, you know, something that operates at a 95 OR on a good year. Yeah. So we're talking <laughs> about um, a mm-hmm. private equity group doing a leverage buyout where they would sort of load up the company with debt in order to acquire it. And then so that you're saying if you got a 5%, you know, kind of, you know, re- net revenue, then you're, you're eating into like a very small yeah, yeah. sort of you, you slice. Don't, you do not, you simply do not have enough room on the income statement to add any kind of real regular cost on there. Um, and so the first thing they do in 2016, we didn't know this at the time, but 2016 was a very down year in the freight market. So once that hit and everybody kind of, you know, started panicking in the uh, investor side, it, it kind of sent everybody saying, we need to decrease cost and cut cost and, you know, what everybody does in most companies when they start seeing that their numbers are not as performing as well as they should be. Right. Um, and I think that kind of went, that made everything go kind of sour between the investors and, mm. and the current management and stuff there. So it wasn't, it wasn't a great relationship after that point. But you know, there are things that I found out later that I didn't know that made it look re- as like glaring. Because anytime a carrier goes to a shipper and says, why aren't you giving me the 15 loads that you promised me? They're going to say, well, your service is bad. Ooh, and so yep. we never had any insight into what the general freight market was doing at the time. Mm. Uh, coming out of, you know, 2017, we figured out, oh, that market was actually really down. It wasn't that Mohawk and Shaw and all these people were you know, didn't Not like our service, yeah. it was that they didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I think that's really what kind of started the cataclysm there. And then, of course, they they changed the management and kind of pulled out. So it was kind of a reset, uh, you know, button, which is very hard to do. I don't care how good you are at your previous position or job. Like, to reset 100% into a new space, right. it, it takes a lot of time to figure that out and figure out the whole mechanics of your situation. Right. Well, what, what do you, are there any other terms of the deal such as you understand them, JP? And what are the, you know, what's the prognostication here? So, I mean, you know, I think in our, the first article we wrote about it, we characterized the deal as a fire sale that was essentially wiping out the previous owners, that Ethereum was coming in, mm-hmm. essentially assuming the debt, the plan to restructure it. You know, the debt, especially the unsecured debt, you know, put a bunch of money into the company and help it kind of get back on its feet. And uh, the CEO of XGS, um, Daryl Harris, and the one of the principals at Ethereum, Michael Fieldstone, actually reached out to us to talk about that article. And they basically didn't have any problems with the way we um, talked about the deal, but they kind of wanted to emphasize to us that Ethereum really supports um, Harris um, and his management team. They don't have any plans to kind of you know, replace them or clean them out. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of think that the feeling is now, I, th- I think, you know, our impression is that the, um, the first round of private equity owners were inexperienced and wanted to mess with the operations to turn this sort of uh, a, you know, stripped down yeah. niche LTL carrier into some sort of high growth company, which was 
Not Obviously a mistake. Yeah, and but I think um, Atiri is probably the right people to come in at this moment in the company's mm-hmm. history. I mean, the things that we've heard talking to them, it sounds like they have learned some pretty important lessons about how this network should be managed. And, um, you know, they're, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're obviously rooting for them. You know, it's, you know, 500, 600 people's jobs. Right. It's an important company. Um, you know, so we hope that this, this goes well. And we're, obviously, we're going to continue to cover it. And you've certainly had, Zach, your share of frustrations <laughs> uh, working um, there, at least towards the end. And yeah, in that and transitional time, but you're, you know, you're cheering for him too, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, no. I, I yeah. certainly wish those guys the best. Right. I, don't, I don't have any hard feelings or anything like that. I think this is absolutely the right move. Uh, the team, they're the investors that were there before, you know, things went bad. And, you know, when the relationships start going south with management and the ownership, you can see it in football. I mean, <laughs> there's not much either side can really do yeah. to, to get things back on track. So a, a nice reset is probably good. And as JP said, you know, after two years, they, they do sound like they've learned uh, some some things that are going to help them moving forward. Uh, reading that article, it was actually pretty good to see um, them say some of those things. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're, um, as we cheer for them and, and wish them a prosperous uh, transition in this 2019 year, um, one of the things we're doing is, is kind of like looking at, uh, you know, we're trying to like kind of gather our bearings and, and, and like say, well, okay, it isn't a new year, but what a year we just went through. Yeah, yeah, like, I, know, I mean, it was a wild ride, and we put together um, this intense article um, written by a number of uh, our editorial, um, you know, of, of our writers on editorial, <clears throat> which looked at really, I think it was uh, a, it was almost a top ten. It ended up being a top eleven, um, you know, general storylines that we saw uh, as you know as. As we rode the dragon of 2018, boy, boy, is 2019 looking a little um, scary right now in some in some respects. But let's let's talk about what some of those storylines were. Um, I think not the least of which we began with um, it was uh, the year that you know, as we said, that ELDs and the driver you know squeeze all came together. How did you guys interpret how some of this happened? I mean, it's. I mean, when you talk about the driver squeeze, you can talk about, you know, the demographics about the, the driver population. You can talk about the difficulty that mega carriers have with seating, you know, trucks on OTR lanes, you know, things like that. But with the ELDs, that's an artificial constraint. So what we're talking about are mm, like these yeah. these interlocking capacity constraints that you know sort of yeah. Perfect storm, yeah. sort of, of. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, are, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, the fleets can't keep their trucks seated, and the drivers that are in the trucks are seeing their productivity, you know, cramped by, um, you know, this more sort of rigid enforcement of the hours of service. So, I mean, it's 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 a kind of a multiplier effect when you think about it like that. While uh, while you know a lot of uh, drivers that I spoke with uh, like really already did ELDs. Cause I, I guess I was I, I, I caught a lot of guys that worked for uh, larger carriers, but you know I mean a whole lot of the industry was not as we call it compliant, 
And uh, and so, um, you know, I think our chief analytics officer, Dean Croak, estimated that at a certain time, um, like the drivers were probably driving about 10 percent less. Um, you know, and if you couple that with some of the things you're saying, you know, if they're, if they're just simply driving less because they can't be as efficient because of the constraints of the hours of service rule, um, especially, um, in fact, I think it's estimated that drivers out of their 11 hours um, on, they're only able to get about, what is it, 6.6 hours, 6.8 hours on actually, average. Yeah, keeping the truck rolling. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So those things um, certainly... Um, and it, what, what's interesting, too, about the ELDs is that yeah. it impacts <clears throat> different lengths of haul in different ways. So, like, right. the tweener freight the tweener. that the owner-operators used to be able to kind of fudge their logbooks <laughs> and cover in a day. You know, something might be, you know, drive, like, 700 miles in a day. Yeah, that is no, no longer possible. So that's a day and a half, which isn't really good because you have this weird half day that's unproductive. And so those lengths of haul tend to be at premium prices. Um, we had this really interesting example of drayage out of Savannah uh, into the, the, the uh, DCs and terminals in the Macon area. And that's like a, mm-hmm. it's like kind of like a 250 mile round trip. And they used to run three round trips a day. It's, it's like a 200 mile round trip. They used to run, the drayage carriers used to run three round trips a day. Now they can wow. only do two. Mm-hmm. So that's like a loss of 33% of the capacity in wow. the market. So yeah. it's, it's, it, it hits, the ELD hits in different ways, in kind of unexpected pockets and corners of the industry. Yeah, and I think the, the large carrier and small carrier are impacted completely differently. Whereas the large mm-hmm. carrier who's exposed to high insurance costs and exposure, they, they govern their, their tractors. And where the, uh, the owner ops can basically take that off and run faster. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, there are people that are driving like 75, 80 miles an hour now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, which, that's that's not that's, great. That's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. that's not. I've seen them on the road. Yeah. I'm like, how are you moving that fast? That's not going to work, man. Um, but uh, you know, another one of the um, sort of evolving storylines as we covered it was the driver shortage mm. um, yeah. issue. You know, and, and like. You know, we I think we 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 came into it um, saying, okay, there's this driver shortage, and we were talking about it. But then you'd hear all the different points of view on the subject, and we tried to kind of refine the way we would say it, and we were calling it a driver um, squeeze. But I just, you know, like I, I still come back to, um, you know, like there is a shortage, whatever we want, however we want to call it. Like if you want to just say like the like is it is is it just the bottom line is that okay, you just need to pay them more, as some would argue, or do you just need to make their lives a little bit better with the shipping and, like, the rest, you know, like, flexible hours, whatever it is. But, Zach, go ahead. Were you, yeah, were you, I, I, I mean, the, the driver shortage is kind of a misnomer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a, for a large carrier, it's extremely difficult to keep a truck seated. Okay. Um, and that's, that's all it boils down to, really. I think there's plenty of smaller carriers and, you know, the owner ops. That, I mean, the people that are independently operating have a lot easier time of it they can do like special family things treat them they like can a little control more their own destiny and and, okay. and i think that's one of the things i mean think about the personality type that wants to be over the road driving i mean they're first of, of in, all yeah they're independent and so you you add this layer of management on top of them kind of big brother you know large carrier watching them all the time right eventually Chase. yeah eventually they're going to get tired of that because they're kind of this cowboy, you know, or cowgirl, if you will, that are riding over the road. And then all of a sudden they got to answer to somebody that's, you know, 2,000 miles away telling them where to go next. Like, 
eventually it's going to be difficult to to kind of turn that over. Yeah, I think that like that um, sort of long over the road, <clears throat> those runs and that kind of job is eventually going to be much more highly compensated than other kinds of, of truck. I mean, that's going to evolve, I think, into a, a kind of a specialty Absolutely. type of role. Um, yeah. we're, we're looking at a lot of the smaller fleets. I, I talked to a, a mid-sized fleet of about 350 trucks mm-hmm. that made the decision five years ago to basically stop trying to cut service the 48 lower states and just kind of stick to like this sort of Midwest, Regional. Great Lakes kind mm-hmm. of area. And they're saying that's all we're doing. We're getting our drivers home every week. I talked to another mid-sized carrier that sw- switched to straight salary for all their drivers with um, adjustments based on performance on a quarterly basis. That's interesting. Um, you know, there's a number of different, different approaches, different <laughs> approaches, different ways to think about it. But I mean, the bottom line is that it's only a driver shortage compared to demand. Right. It's only when there's way more freight than there are trucks that you would <laughs> think of a driver shortage. So that's it, a good point. But I guess that's how we would think about like any any kind of supply and demand situation. Right. Uh, well, another one of the aspects that, that uh, of it that that was related was the booming, amazing economy. At least for the first <laughs> three quarters of the year, right? Yeah. And so, as you're saying, like there was just very little capacity, and uh, and, and at the same time, unemployment was historically low. And so, you know, you have like manufacturing jobs be, like taking away from the truck drivers, and you know, the possible truck drivers. You have construction. Yeah, but you know, the bottom line is the freight got moved. Like it's not. It's there's not piles of like rotting produce like in our in our in our in our, in our like farms that you know they can't find trucks like it just costs more. I mean that's that's the bottom line. I mean it costs yeah. more. It's kind of unpredictable, but I mean the goods economy is flowing efficiently. But to your to your hmm. point, there are there are actual uh, significant losses to to produce and things like the perishable goods when freight doesn't get moved uh, accordingly. That's why it pays so well. Um, that's why produce season is such a big deal every year is because yeah. it right. has to move. And so when you lose entire truckloads of, you know, apples or oranges or whatever, that's, that's a huge hit to the bottom line of a lot of these people. So the, the ability to flex up is, is, I think, really what people kind of start saying, well, the driver shortage is, is in play, that kind of thing. And really, it's more of an issue of just market imbalance and the challenges of managing the entire country's, like, freight network, if right. you will. But it's like... You know, you, we can the ATA can talk about these these dire predictions of this exponentially increasing driver shortage. But I mean, the next recession that hits the economy, trucking rates are won't going to be plummet. such a shortage. They'll go think? back down. Trucking rates are going to go back down, and I mean, well, they won't go down, down, but they'll go back down, like from their levels. Yeah, um, it's an it's a fascinating, almost endless sort of um, topic. Because I feel like, because I, I think that even through the recession, the ATA has managed to, to track like the, how there was still a driver shortage. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? well, it's like, on the one level, it's like an HR problem at these like large, <laughs> big companies. Yeah. On You're another right. level, though, it actually does affect the earnings and the stock market and, the, you know, the, the profitability of lots of other very large companies that really care about their transportation costs. <clears throat> we so, have, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's a multi-layered, complicated topic. And, and, and this year was probably right. one of the biggest years. Like, it was a perfect storm for freight um, with all the ELDs, hurricanes, you know, the freight market in late 2017, the tariffs. The tariffs. 
the pull forward there and then, you know, the economy just cranking, oil going through the roof. I mean, all of these things kind of came together in two, late 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Things are starting to come back to reality a little bit. You know? right. There's just There were all kinds of storylines. Um, you guys can stop me at any point. Um, but there was the, you know, precision railroading. There was the Dynamex case uh, and the independent contractor. So there were two big verdicts that uh, took liability payouts to a whole new level. Uh, the uh, the ATA listening tour, uh, you know, and its proposed amendments to the uh, to, to the hours of service. Oh, the, the FMCSA listening um, tour. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, actually, the way we wrote it was the that it was the ATA listening door. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe a Freudian slip there, uh, in some respects. But no, um, the uh, it was the FMCSA uh, listening tour, and and you know what, the F one of the surprises of 2018 was the FMCSA listening tour. Like I think everybody was expecting, you know, the the leadership of Ray Martinez to be the same old, same old kind of uh huh, uh huh. Uh, you know, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, here's yeah, the rules we just made up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and then suddenly they're like moving as swiftly as some kind of VC, you know, startup. Yeah. <laughs> like like uh, and they're like listening and they're being <laughs> flexible and like, what's that about? Um, so that that was that, you know, it seems like people are very positive uh, across the board about, you know, um, how the FMCSA is responding. Yeah, I think people were pretty shocked to see, like, Administrator Martinez going to, like, Joplin, Missouri and listening to owner-operators, like, talk and answering their questions face-to-face. Yeah, shocker. For, like, like, hours on end. No, I, I think that that's a huge, like, change of, you know, policy, really. An attitude. Uh, I yeah. mean, an attitude. I mean, that, that's... You know, I always kind of looked at the transportation market as being kind of the stepchild of industry in the, in the country. And for them to actually really make some steps like they're being progressive there is, is a pretty big deal. Yeah, so um, that was really interesting. Um, you know, there's all these other trends that we, and, and storylines and themes from the year, we kind of uh, go through the big ones and sort of summarize them and, and link to our previous coverage. But definitely... Uh, Check out that article on FreightWaves.com. On there was yeah, there was the last mile delivery stuff. We, yeah. we you know we talked about. Everybody's was... trying to figure out how to make money doing that. It's <laughs> quite difficult. It's quite difficult and extremely challenging. It involves paying people very little money to use their own cars to uh, <laughs> crowdsource delivery. I mean that's that's kind <laughs> that's of that's where we're headed. That's what everyone yeah. has settled on. Yeah. Kind of. And that's <laughs> or, exciting or the, or the U.S. Post Office. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And, of course, there was the VC funding for transport tech startups. Um, and, you know, there was, um, uh, just you know, just a lot of, uh, like, a lot of action in that space that, you know, I just Thinking. don't know if 20, is 2019 going to be as interesting as 2018, guys? Oh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting in a different way, though, because I think that, I think the economy is slowing down. I think a lot of these sort of frothy, overheated parts of the economy are going to get exposed really fast. We're going to see, you know, like, mm. I think this year, yeah. we saw so many startups raising money. We, we had all these founders talking to us, telling about how great their technology was, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, we're, we're like drowning in all these new like there's so know, there's, many solutions there's there's just there's an abundance of money the economy has grown so steadily since 2010 um and then all of a sudden in 2017 it just exploded 2018 it really boomed and i think mm-hmm. that the byproduct of that is this overwhelming amount of investment and yeah and so <laughs> there were so many it was you know it's like a bubble it's like 
Oh yeah, like it's it's almost like the crypto bubble or something. And so like Whoa. I think when that bubble, <laughs> I don't know, when that Easy. bubble pops, when when th- yeah, hopefully it won't be as bad. As <laughs> Our economy was not a crypto Easy. bubble. Easy. I really hope. No, no, not the economy, oh. but oh. like but like transport tech is what I mean. Oh. And so like once well. once demand slows down, once uh, companies actually have to differentiate themselves, once that you know their investors are like, okay, well. Uh, you know, are you cash flow positive yet? Please. Uh, this um, is this is actually, in my opinion, a really good thing. Like we we have been overheated for a little bit. A four point two percent GDP is not sustainable. It's 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 too much. You know, just fluff going on right now. That's yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of yeah. A, you get scared of the bubble as it keeps expanding. Yeah. And so but now the, we get to see who no wins. There was a now bubble. we get to see who survives. Yeah. We get to see. Yeah. We get to separate the strong okay. from the weak, and that's going to be really interesting, mm-hmm. especially from a, like a news media angle. I guess I'm just like I'm, I'm concerned about like you know oil. Mm. I, there's so much volatility uh, around the world right now with with what with what that's going to be. I'm concerned about China, uh, you know, and it's and oh, yeah. and what they're not bringing to the the, the table. They're not buying enough damn iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. There 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 are there are reasons to feel bearish right now, and and it scares me. But I I, I think uh, it's fine. I think everybody's constantly scared of feeling some sort of pain. But let's be honest, coming out of 2009, 2010, we were a better economy. Like we got better. So, I mean, it's only natural that you're going to hurt a little bit before you get stronger. No pain, no gain. Exactly. That's so American of you. American <laughs> optimism, for us, Zach Strickland. Uh, speaking of which, you know, one of the things that, uh, of our headlines that, you know, one of the, the factors that made uh, 2018 such a year uh, that it was, was this relationship between Dallas and Los Angeles, uh, as you know, all of this cargo was flooding <laughs> into uh, Southern Cal. Um, so it, it explains the freight market in 2018, you say? Yeah. So, How so? so? So essentially, like, I'm using this as kind of like, you know, the proxy for the freight market. When Obviously, okay. Dallas and, and L.A. are not the only two markets in the country, but this West Coast, East Coast relationship throughout the year was really what drove the market in general. I mean, you know, I'm a market analyst, so I'm looking at freight volumes in, in every part of the country. Every day. Every day. And I see where <laughs> they're coming from and where they're moving. And I have all these predispositions about what I think is going to happen throughout the year. Well, this year, I was thinking that L.A. would fall off at the end of, towards the end of the year, when actually it just kept going and going and going. And, yeah. you know, the rest of the, the general freight market kind of rode this this wave peaking in June, late June, and then kind of sliding down into uh-huh. the fourth quarter a little bit. And kind that's of kind as of the economy a, did. Yeah, it's kind of a normal-ish pattern, if you will. Yeah. And the L.A. market kind of did not, it did not perform that way because all the containers coming into the ports. I mean, everybody was... Was <clears> it just a tariff thing? Uh, I think a lot of it was. Okay. Um, because... There's well, a lot of it was that, but a lot of it was also, I mean, Americans spent the most during the holiday season, that you know ever, mm-hmm. right? Almost eight hundred fifty billion dollars, and so I mean, a lot of it I think was terrible forward, but I mean, you got You also have to take that into account. Sure, no, no, you're absolutely right. Last year's retail seasons in November, December blew UPS apart, um, and so I think that we saw a combination of this tariff pull forward. And, you know, trying to make it into the country before the January 1st deadline, which is now March 1st. Um, And then you had this 
you know, everybody wanted, they learned their lesson from 2017 and wanted to have enough on the shelves in 2018. Um, so you saw this happen in L.A. where literally all this freight comes out of L.A. And then all of a sudden after Thanksgiving, boom, we're shutting it down for a little bit because yeah. that's kind of the deadline for making right. it onto the retail shelves. Right. So I knew, I knew that it was a very positive uh, retail season. I didn't know that it was like what, a historically a historic best I think so. I think wow. it was one of the biggest in like six or seven years. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and well, that's whereas, that, yeah, that's interesting. And whereas um, last year caught a lot of people off guard, this year I think they were more prepared, specifically in the freight market. Yeah, yeah. And you recently, JP, told me um, that like some stat about the overall efficiency of these last mile deliveries and yeah. how is the best ever. Yeah. What was the percentage? Ninety-seven. Like uh, I want to say that UPS delivered like ninety-seven percent of their packages on time. FedEx was like mid nineties, and so is the, uh, the Postal Service. And all of this is an all of this was like hundreds of basis points improvement mm-hmm. um, for each of those three parcel carriers. Um, I think they they invested a lot of money. They took a lot more. I mean, la- you know, when I say last year, I mean two thousand seventeen. UPS underestimated their volumes by 30%. What? They, that, you can't miss that hard, too. They, and UPS. they literally pulled every executive mm-hmm. out of the building and had them handling packages. I'm yeah. like not even I kind of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it, it actually, the stock market punished them yeah. um, um, once they realized how inefficiently this was, you know, their operations were and how badly they missed and, you know, sort of how unprepared they were. And also, like, we can't ignore, like, Amazon, who has now invested in their own fleet. Yeah, I'm so. really interested. In terms of 2019 <laughs> oh, storylines, I'm really interested in how, uh, the, you know, they they developed that, that, I guess, infrastructure for, you know, that their, their last-mile infrastructure. I saw the biggest—this is a shocking number to me, and, you know, I, th- I think we still need to do more work on it to, like, kind of vet it out. But I've seen—I saw a number— that said that Amazon now controls 40% of e-commerce, um, which is the highest per, you know, percentage I've seen. I've, I, they I've, control it in what way? Like by, by their, 40% their of e-commerce of dollars are spent That's on insane. Amazon.com. That is amazing. I mean, you have to think about where they started, too, as a book Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still use it for books. (laughs) But that's all they did in like 2001. It was like, go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Right, now Jeff Bezos is literally like, you know, in my my kitchen. (laughs) Well, I guess that's Alexa, but... (laughs) he's listening Um, watch out Uh, okay well guys what a fun time rolling down some of this Uh, thank you so much for visiting us uh, Zach Strickland and everybody like just hang in there with us for the next two minutes to see if we can achieve uh, another round of big deal or little deal what's the deal with you oh lord (laughs) new year new me but we're still going to hit it in two minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> FMCSA says trucks can use cameras inside of rearview mirrors. Big deal or little deal? Uh, instead of rearview mirrors. Yes, it's a big deal. Um, it's supposed to be safer, wider field of view, and save uh, 3 to 4% on fuel economy. All roads on the Silk Road lead through Xiamen, China. Um, I guess it's a big deal. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's a huge logistics hub. Uh, it's a, building a lot of infrastructure. A16's General Cat- Catalyst pour $100 million into Sam Sarah at $3.6 billion valuation. Big deal or little deal? Uh, it's a pretty big deal. Um, that's, that doubles the valuation of this IoT company, Intelmatics company. Um, you know, we'll see uh, 
Let's see what they do in 2019. Andrew Silver reflects on Molo Solutions' first year of operations. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal because it tells us about the freight brokerage space in general, that a non-VC funded company can get to a run rate of $78 million in a year. Amazon says it delivered 1 billion holiday items for free under Amazon Prime service. Big deal or little deal? Big deal to me. A billion is a lot. But was it really all free? Freight delays loom if government shutdown goes long term. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The shutdown affects 25% of the federal government, including funding for the departments of transportation, homeland security, agriculture, commerce, justice, housing and urban development, interior, treasury, and state. (laughs) You know, that sounds like a pretty big deal. The Freightways Oil Report puts put the pressure on petroleum prices. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. I mean, it's complicated uh, who all the winners and losers will ultimately be, but there's a lot of intense volatility around the world when it comes to oil. Electric vehicle manufacturing in China drives metal demand. Big deal or little deal? Little deal, which I hope becomes a big deal because China needs to increase their manufacturing. Wait, what? 151. We did it. Bringing in 2019 in year. under two minutes. It must be the Zach <laughs> presence. Batting, just... batting 100 in 2019. <laughs> All right. We are here with another episode of Five Good Minutes. Um, this time, Chad and I are, are joined by Paul Enos, the CEO of the Nevada Trucking Association. Welcome aboard, Paul. Hey, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me here today. Yeah. And lady. <laughs> well, it is, it is our pleasure to have you on. Uh, we're so excited. Uh, how long have you been CEO? I've been CEO since 2006 for 12 and a half years. Wow. Whoa. So you've got a lot of experience. Yeah, it's given me the gray hair I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, the audience can't see that right now. Um, but we do. We have, um, well, what would the challenge for you right now will be trying to run the gauntlet of our, uh, of our uh, incisive questions that we're going to hit you with and getting it all summarized in five minutes in order to win the T-shirt. Perfect. All right. right. No t-shirt if you go over now. Do you have a medium? I mean, all my friends who are listening will get that joke. Dave Honeyager, my friend here in the volunteer state. I I don't think we do, Um, Um, but we'll do our best. Uh, Okay, ready or not, here we go. Yeah, so Paul, you are really involved with advocacy and policy work. Um, What do you think about the FMCSA's possible revisions of the hours of service rules? Do you like where things are heading, and do you think it's enough? I love where they're heading. And, I mean, I think, is it enough? I mean, the fact that we're doing anything at all, I think, is a step in the positive direction. Mm -hmm. Ray Martinez, uh, Jim Mullins came out to Nevada um, last year to do one of their hours of service listening sessions. And it was really, I think, positive to have FMCSA, you know, not just being in Washington, D.C. And I mean, I love that they came out to, uh, you know, the Silver State, you know, my little my little hometown of Reno, you know, to talk to our folks out there because things in the West are a little different. I Mm -hmm. mean, they've heard about, you know, mines and Donner Summit and how, you know, if there's a lightning (laughs) strike at a gold mine, how that stops everything for a half hour. What does that do to driver productivity? You know, how does that half hour meal and rest break um, sometimes push a driver to, you know, try to go faster to get home, push him to to beat the clock or her to beat the clock. So I thought we really had some positive discussions. And I am really happy with where I see the FMCSA go. And, you know, under the leadership of um, Administrator Martinez, I I think it's positive. I mean, I just look at the rules that they passed on personal conveyance. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. They are understanding 
what a driver is having to contend with. Uh, you know, prior to this, FMCSA, and I have a great relationship with the FMCSA in Nevada. He knows that sometimes we disagree with what happens in Washington, D.C., sure. but before it was, you know what, do your best, but the law is the law. The fact that right. we have leadership there, and i got to give President Trump credit for this too, because I think, you know, this is his mindset. He understands that business perspective, mm-hmm. and he's saying, hey, let's do something that makes sense for people who are actually you know, out there on the road. Let's do something that makes sense for business. Let's not have these heavy-handed regulations. You know, if they don't detract from safety or if they can enhance safety, let's do something that makes more sense. Right. It seems a lot of the people we've talked to have said that it's really one of, like, their sort of flexibility and their um, openness and just the fact that they're listening to the industry is, like, a positive development that they really haven't it doesn't really compare to... I went to a meeting in Washington, D.C. with my members um, a couple of years ago. It's when Ann Farrah was still was still there. Um, she did not show up at the meeting, but she did have some of, her, some of her senior staff there. And as we're talking, the only response I got back from FMCSA after about peppering in with 20 questions was, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. That was it. <laughs> there Sounds was like no a good engagement or no dialogue. So the fact that we have this with Administrator Martinez, with FMCSA, with the folks there, uh, this is a huge deal for us. And I'm glad to see them, you know, really taking taking the stance that they're going to move regulations forward in a way that makes sense to our drivers. Well, that dovetails with one of our other questions. Um, you know, what, what are some of the accomplishments you all are celebrating after this volatile and event-filled 2018? Well, I, I just look at the state of Nevada, and, you know, we've had a huge increase of freight, a huge increase in the number of mileage that's traveled. And I only have data um, up until about the middle of November. And when I look at the truck fatalities from 2017, where there were 35 in the Silver State, to 22 right now um and we'll see what the what the rest of the data from that last month and a half shows i haven't seen anything in the news or anything come (laughs) across my desk that makes me think those numbers are going to go up anytime we see a reduction of fatalities at the same time we're seeing an increase in miles and more freight being delivered i think that's something that absolutely we need to celebrate and i need to give credit to our industry to FMCSA, to the Nevada High Patrol. So they really are partners in safety. And so, hey, I'll take take that kind of accomplishment any day, which means, you know, less truck-related deaths. That's good for us all. Any major things you're looking at trying to accomplish in 2019 now? Yeah, 2019, it's going to be educating our policymakers in the legislative session, our new governor, our new constitutional officers, the new regulators that are coming in about what our industry does, to support the economy in Nevada, you know, how we focus on safety, how we try to make sure the trucks that we are moving are the cleanest on the road, are the safest on the road, and are ultimately delivering the freight that all of us consume every day. Fantastic! Wow! For a minute there, I didn't think he was going to do it, but boy, he's got a knack for this, doesn't he? (laughs) Well, it really is fantastic to have you on, and you you seem like a wellspring of of knowledge, of industry knowledge. We'd love to have you on again. I'd love to come back. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Get him a (laughs) t-shirt. Thank you. 
Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And thanks again to Redwood Logistics for helping us out and partnering with us on Weather Truck. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.